All right. Hey, good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. So, I was just thinking about, um, I've got this quirky little thing, and I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced this sort of thing, but there are times when I'm in conversation with someone, and I start a sentence, and I find myself so bored with my own sentence that I just quit in the middle of it. Have you ever done that? Am I alone in that? I've laughed at myself a few times over the last few few months as I did that very thing, and I was like, that was just so boring. Let's move on and talk about something else, right? Well, today is not going to be one of those incredibly boring times because, wake up, people, today we talk about politics and slavery. Yeah, my goodness. Okay, Peter's going to throw some stuff at us, uh, yeah, right? So Peter today uh, has a word for us. Uh, specifically, he had a word for people in very difficult circumstances in the first century. Uh, but today we get to hear from that, and we get to explore uh, how God is reshaping us in this conversation. So um, there's, if, if you've read here in First uh, Peter 2, um, you might have had some discomfort. As we read it today, it might spark some discomfort. Let's talk through it and see what he has for us today. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and, ex- and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as, sla- as God's slaves. Show, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called... Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right. Peter, just lay it out there, right? Peter speaks to two challenging subjects in here. 
to uh, politics, specifically the Roman Empire, and he speaks to slavery. Now, the discomfort for us might come in that he tells slaves, you know, to be submissive to your master. Nowhere in the text does he condemn slavery. Have you ever felt discomfort over that sort of thing? Uh, I certainly have as I've read through this. Um, And here's what I want to do. I want to start with identifying what this passage is not, and then I want to move into, okay, so what is Peter telling us here today? This is not Peter's manifesto on slavery. This is not Peter's manifesto on government or on nations and how they should be run. Uh, Peter does not address the larger subject of slavery, or in our context, we might speak of systemic racism and things like that. Uh, He does not address these larger subjects. He does not address the larger subject of a country or, or how it should be run or how we should vote. What Peter does do in here is speak to people in their particular spot in life. He speaks to people who are slaves in that moment, and he speaks to their circumstances. He speaks to uh, a nation Israel who is under Roman rule, an oppressive and cruel emperor and and governing system, and he speaks directly into their lives. So rather than condemning the realities of the life they're experiencing, what we find in him is his challenge for how to live and how to engage in the circumstances in which they live. They're living in unjust, tumultuous, and dangerous realities. And Peter speaks to them saying this, live such good lives the non-believers, the people with different value systems, live such good lives that they will see your good deeds and they'll turn and they'll glorify God. He's saying whether you're in slavery or whether you're living under a harsh political rule, uh, he says live such a good life that people will see your good deeds and they will glorify God in that. So what does it look like to live this good life that he talked about in verse 12? What does it look like to live into this good life? How, how will our deeds be seen and result in glory to God? And he answers that question. Uh, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to submit. Submission will be the way by which people around you will see these good deeds and come to know and to glorify God. Now, I don't know where your mind goes with the word submit or submission, uh, but probably not anywhere joyful or good, right? Uh, this is not uh, an exciting concept. It's like, here's how we'll fix all the problems in the world, just be more submissive. It doesn't feel or sound right to many of us here today, I don't think. And yet he says the, the life of submission is that life that will be recognized, that people will come to know God through it. Um, so I think it's easy when we hear the word submission to kind of think of this rolling over and showing our belly and, and just uh, going with the flow, right? It's easy to perceive submission in those sorts of terms. And yet never in the biblical narrative is that how the people of God were called to interact in the world around them. And never in the first century church and its teachings was it encouraged that we just roll over and go with the flow of society. So he says here, 
your life needs to be marked by submission, and yet we see throughout the biblical narrative that submission did not mean people were silent and roll over on their back and just give up in the difficult circumstances. So what does submission mean? What in the world is he getting at? What's he trying to say um, to us today? Uh, Hupatasso is the Greek word that he uses here for submit, and it means to place yourself under the authority. It means to place yourself under whatever it is that you're to be submitting to. And it was actually a military term, and it referred to uh, acting out of and, and placing yourself under the authority of your general, the authority of the hierarchy and the structure that was in the military. So he says, uh, place yourself under the authority that exists, the man-made authority, the government, your slave owner, whatever that looks like, go ahead and place yourself under their authority. Now, what's interesting about that is it's not a forced place. It's not a forced position in life any longer. It's a choice. It's a posture to say, I will submit in this situation. I will submit in the reality in which I live. And yet the reality is quite painful in that they were being abused by a Roman government. Slaves were being beaten for no cause, being mistreated uh, in, in atrocious ways. And he says, go ahead and take this posture of submitting to that authority. Here's the kicker, though. Submission and obedience are not synonymous, okay? We're going to have to run with this for just a minute, maybe, maybe to, to get where we're trying to go. But submission and obedience are not synonymous. I was reading on the subject earlier in the week, and I found this quote. Um, obedience is following uh, orders or commands, while submission is yielding to the power or authority. So what is the difference? What does it look like? What, what is this? Uh, when we're living under, um, when, when Israel is, finds themselves stuck under a corrupt government, what does it look like to submit? And where, when do they act? And how do they act? And when and how do they show submission? Throughout Scripture, we, uh, we would be remiss to not notice the number of times disobedience and submission are demonstrated in parallel in stories. So let me run through a couple. Uh, a simple one to begin. But Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. They've been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And uh, Moses comes and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, and do not ask me again. And what does Moses do? He disobeys. And he comes back and he says, now let my people go. And he says, no, and don't ask again. And he disobeys and he comes back and he asks. And they work out eventually the people leave Egypt and move towards the promised land. Okay, so disobedience and yet uh, not creating a riot or starting a war, instead working within that system, using his voice and engaging. Uh, More pointedly, though, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they're given an order to bow uh, only to the Babylonian uh, emperor, the ruler of Babylon. Um, and, uh, And so what do they do? They're they're Israelite people, they're worshipers of, of God only, and they choose to disobey the orders of the nation, right? And they do not bow a knee to Babylon, but instead they continue to pray to their God. And having disobeyed, they then submit to the authorities as they are thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, the story doesn't end there, so go back and read it if you don't know it in Daniel chapter 3. And Daniel himself uh, told 
later on in that same book, uh, Daniel, again, he will not bow a knee to the emperor or to the rulers of Babylon, but instead he will pray only to God. And so he too disobeys the laws and then he finds himself um, uh, thrown into a lion's den. And again, the story does not end there, so go back and read it if you don't know it. And maybe most importantly is the example of Jesus. Jesus, who uh, comes to earth and begins his ministry at 30 years old, uh, playing the role of a rabbi in, in the religious order of the day, and he stands against all of the injustice that he sees in the way religion works. And yet he chose a posture of submission, right? He rebels against the norms and the beliefs that were toxic in the land and the time, and instead of creating rebellion and riot or overthrowing the powers that were, he chooses a posture of submission, a posture in which uh, when all the weight of the religious rule and when all the weight of Rome would come upon his shoulders, he would bear that burden and he would suffer on a cross. He chose both the posture of disobedience to what was wrong, but yet submission being willing to accept the consequence. Okay, so I think as we zoom back out at the big picture, Paul says, whatever cir- or Peter says, whatever circumstance you're in, uh, if you're a slave or if you're living under a corrupt government, people will see if you choose a posture of submission. Now, this, I think we've established, does not mean silence or just going with the flow. Yet, if you will choose a posture of submission, people will see something very special. You see, this is the beautiful picture of a people living a good life that is noticed by people around them. Those that speak up for what is just and yet live with the consequences and the realities in which they are placed. Those people that are willing to suffer even though what they've done is good and right, and yet they do it with a posture of submission and respect for the authorities that are in order. So let's look at kind of our case. You and I here today, um, as it, as it comes to human authority, like uh, re- um, governmental authority in our lives, I'm struck on this subject uh, as we talk about a corrupt government system and slavery. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Martin Luther King Jr. this week. And I believe next month uh, is Martin Luther King? No. January. It's in January, a month after next. And uh, we always try to celebrate that together as a people. But today I just wanted to mention his story. Because I think he's a, a pretty incredible um, example of speaking, uh, speaking truth and speaking towards reformation and change in a nation, and yet done in a peaceful manner. And his story, uh, when when in a cowardly way a man takes his life, his voice continues, and and his his uh, efforts made in our nation continued to have a remarkable impact on legislation and what our nation would become. He, he was, I think, a beautiful example of civil disobedience, not chaos and, and not anarchy and, and not violent revulsion, but instead a man who used the voice that he had 
to bring about change. And he was willing to suffer the consequence of whatever that was. So today, you and I, we live in a democratic society. And uh, I think our governing system is far from perfect. Uh, but I won't get into a lot of details on that. Uh, I think it's far from perfect. However, uh, I also know that we are somewhat unique by world standards in that we have a voice in what's happening in our nation. And I think that's something that ought to be taken quite seriously. The question becoming, so how will I use my voice, the voice that I have been given, the right to vote or the right to call a congressman, how will we use the opportunities that we have? Because Peter is saying, um, you live in a nation that could do for some reform. Right? He's saying that to Israel under Rome. I think the same applies to us. We live in a nation, and yet we've been given a voice, an opportunity to engage in the decisions that are making, to use our voice for good. Now, we'll be submissive to what the laws are. We will uh, disobey when it stands in the way of, of our, our Christian conviction, and yet we will live in a submissive posture. This juxtaposition is challenging for me to put together, and yet it's the story of Jesus, and it's the story of the apostles. It's a story of thousands of Christians who used their voice in the first century against the law to say, we believe in a risen Savior, and then they submitted and suffered the consequence, many of them, thousands of them, death for their crimes. So we find ourselves today uh, in a fortunate situation in that we have a voice that we are invited to use in the things that are happening. In verse 16, uh, Peter had said, um, you are a free people, um, live as slaves to God, and don't use your freedom as a cover-up for sin in your life. And I think this is an important posh, uh, uh, point to make, uh, because I think it would be easy for me to think especially of my own gain and selfish things when it comes to considering the nation in which I live. Like, what would benefit me most? That is how I would vote. But I really like uh, here that it challenges us to consider something broader, to consider uh, what is good, right? To consider what is good for this nation? Who are the people that don't have a voice? Like, I have a voice, and how can I speak for them? All right. Uh, he says uh, further in the text there, suffering for doing good is commendable. Um, doing good, regardless of the consequences, really, that's what this text is about. And yet, such a challenging concept, I think, uh, to really take hold of and put into action in our lives, doing good regardless of the consequences. You know, I think of raising children and teaching them to tell the truth, even when there will be consequences for telling the truth, right? And, and that's a principle that makes a lot of sense in our kids' lives, but I don't think is always as easily or quickly applied in our workplaces or in our adult lives. Uh, honesty is good. And, and what Peter is challenging us to is choose the good instead of fearing the consequences. Choose what is right and choose what is good. It, it will affect the way we interact with our boss at work, who might be a real jerk. I mean, just someone we don't want to be around. But he says, live such good lives 
that even that person begins to notice something special and might come to glorify God. He says, choose good first and foremost in life. He gives Jesus as the example. He submitted himself to unjust treatment. In fact, in the text today, it says, uh, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, and that is God. When they hurled insults, he didn't retaliate. He made no threats when they threatened him. This is the way of Jesus, a way of submission. And Jesus hardly came and sat idle while he was on earth. It does not mean we do not engage, and yet it does mean we are willing to be submissive. And like in Jesus, the impact he had on his followers, the people closest to him, lasted long beyond his physical life on earth. Uh, Our story will be told As we choose to live lives that advocate for injustice and yet are willing to be submissive, even in the difficult and painful positions in life. All right, so how do we conclude? Where do we go with all this? Uh, How will we live our lives in this world? This is Peter's challenge in whatever circumstances we're in, whether in very good ones or in very poor ones, like those that were in slavery uh, in his audience or those that were under an unjust government. How will we choose to live our lives, whether in good times or in bad? His challenge is this— Live good lives that demonstrate the character of Jesus to people around us. His challenge is this. In suffering, uh, choose a posture of humility and submission, even when we are the one suffering. Not because we stand for nothing, but because we stand for something very powerful, the name of Jesus. Why would we choose submission when suffering? It's not because we have no value system. It's not because we're weak, but it's because we stand for something very powerful, and that is Jesus and new hope found in him. We live as representatives of him in the world, and the ways we choose to react to unjust things will paint a picture for people around us to see his image, to see his face in this world. He challenges us this. Live such good lives that you silence the haters. Let's pray about that. God, thank you for this day and this time. Uh, in a, in a challenging text, God, that brings up uncomfortable realities revolving around slavery and government. God, will you give us a grace to hear the message that Peter had for an audience in the first century and that, that that we hear today, we give us ears to hear um, and, and the grace to perceive uh, this call to submission. God, help us not to be inactive, but help us to be humble and submissive in the ways that we engage in this world. Teach us, God, what it looks like to live such good lives that people take notice, that people see you in the ways we interact. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for being here. It's been a good day. I want to close with these words. So may we choose humility and submission. May we use our voice to speak for justice. May we live good lives that people come to glorify God. Have a blessed week.